Hey guys, so guys, um, uh, yeah, we're having dinner at my place uh, later. You guys are all invited. You too, new guy. You come on over, okay? Cool, man. Sounds good. Epic. Dude, don't go. Why? Why not? Don't go. I made the mistake of going last month. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean? I will tell you this. I am not going to do that again. <laughs> Hey, we made hey, it. Hey, new guy, how's it going? So glad you guys could make it, yeah. You know, turns out all the other people suddenly had plans, I think. They just didn't come. Anyway, that means it's just you and us. Are you guys ready and to eat and devour delicious things? Yeah, we are starving. I'm starving. Um, so, what would you guys like? Yeah, you can sit down already. Okay. Yeah, what would you guys like? I mean, this looks great. We'll take what you guys oh, it have. It is. I made it. It sure does look good. It will be good. She's a, she's a wonderful cook. I really am. Yeah? yeah. So, um, but she only made enough for two, though, so, um... It's not to worry, though, because I can rummage up something in our kitchen. We've got lots of things in there. Yeah, I'll go do that. This is really good. I will good. rummage up some delicious stuff for you. Well, okay, so here you go. It's like a, it's oh, like a gold great. mine in there, first of all. There's some peanut butter. Oh, you can um, stick your bacon in that. That's delicious. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. Awesome. Uh, and you guys yeah. can choose your color even on the bowl. Here, this helps have oh, sorry about that. Uh, wow. That's got some of mine on it, but that's okay. Thank I'll you. Awesome. Um, manager's special. Yeah, that's a, quite a deal on that yeah. one. Yeah. Yep. Do you guys, do you have any milk? No. You made a delicious cake. Oh, that that's milk. right, that oh. delicious cake. Oh, I'm so for some cake. Yeah, cake. That, that sounds good. <gasps> well, it was good. It was really good. Oh. It was delicious and loaded with milk. I ate so much of it. I think that's why I'm so vulnerable. Oh, it's true. You look full. That's probably. I, I mean, true. I don't even think I can eat anymore. You, you shouldn't. Maybe mm -hmm. stop. She what probably will. Yeah, I. Yeah, I, yeah, I, no, no, I said it's the dogs. How rude. Oh, say, you are in luck. There are so many bits left for you. Oh, delicious good job. pieces Thank left you. on there. Awesome. Oh, that's, that's a delicious <laughs> nugget. I'm going to take that for myself. Bye. Uh, yeah, see ya. Thanks thank, for thank, dinner. Thank you. Let's, let's go. New guys! New guys! Here, ah! I put the leftovers in the bag. I didn't uh, want you guys to lose out on your parting uh, gift, okay? Okay, thanks for coming. Don't waste anything. <laughs> What is this? What did you take me to? What was that? I'm starving. Can you go get some food? Well, good morning and welcome to K2. My name's uh, Mike Rutledge. I'm the director of arts here. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I see something like that and I think to myself, seriously, would anyone have the gall? to do something like that, right? And uh, you certainly, I don't think you'd want the reputation as the leftover guy, you know? Obviously the guys in the, in the lunch room, in the break room knew that, knew that that's what to expect. My wife and I, we're not really, uh, we kinda are self-proclaimed leftover snobs. We don't really eat leftovers, except for, I would say one, one caveat, uh, pizza, which I don't believe is a leftover. I think it's a cold breakfast item, actually, <laughs> the second day. It's just as good as the first day. Anyway, uh, 
Well, I'm really excited to be here with you. I have, uh, my, my biggest stress is hoping that I can share with you all the stuff that I uh, believe God wants me to share with you this morning in the short amount of time we have. In my small group, and uh, we, we, the last Bible study we did, we decided to do something different. We didn't get a guide. We just decided to read through First and Second Samuel, and we'd read a bunch of chapters, and then we'd get together and we'd talk about uh, what, what we discovered, and then we'd do that again. We got to the end of... Uh, uh, through reading it. And I don't know if you know much about First and Second Samuel. Basically, uh, those two books are really great. I encourage you to read them. Lots of great stories, some interesting stuff you'll have to wrestle with. Uh, but the story of First and Second Samuel is the transition of Israel being ruled by judges to them being ruled by their first king, Saul. And I talked about this a few months ago. If you remember, Saul was, uh, he turned out to be an epic fail. Um, and, it, you know, if, if they had YouTube back then, he'd be on one of those epic fail reels. Um, because he was selected based on his looks and his affluence and that he was taller than everyone and that didn't work out so well. And they transitioned then into King David, who was the next king, and he turned out to be an epic success. And what we know, though, is that David was selected using a different criteria. He wasn't selected on his looks or his affluence. He was selected because what... We, we're told he's a man after God's own heart. Anyway, as we were reading this, um, we, get to the, we get to the very end of 2 Samuel and come across this really interesting story. Um, and the story is this. So uh, David goes to Joab, his commander of his army, and he says, hey, I want, what I want you to do is I, I want you to uh, go take a census of all the people so I know who I have. And Joab says, you know what, you know what King David, I, I pray to God that you live until we have 100 times more people than we do right now, but don't do it. God does not want you to do this. David says, okay, go do it now. <laughs> and so Joab, in obedience, he goes and he takes a census of the people, and uh, as soon as the census comes in, David feels stricken with guilt, realizing that he has done something, he's, he's sinned against God. And so... Uh, Gad, who is a prophet at the time to David, shows up and he says, David, you've sinned, and so here's the deal. God is going to offer you three choices. Choice number one, three years of famine in the land. Choice two, three months of being oppressed and chased and attacked by your enemies. Or choice three, three days of plague. And he says, well, I'm going to take choice three because then I fall in God's hands, not man's hands. So... He takes that, he accepts that, and the, the plague rolls in, and it rolls across Israel all the way to this guy, Eruana, who, uh, it, it rolls all the way to his threshing floor. That's where they thresh wheat. And, and then what happens is David, feeling guilt-stricken over the decision he's made and the sin, he pleads before God and says, God, this is my sin. Don't punish the people. Please, please, please. And he pleads, and God says, I will relent. And here's, Gad comes back and says, okay. Now, this is after 70,000 people 70,000 Israelites were lost in that plague. I mean, this is, this is a huge deal. So God relents, and Gad says, what you need to do is go to Arianna, where as far as the plague had gotten, you're going to buy this guy's threshing floor, and you're going to build an altar and sacrifice there so that God will stop. And so this is where we pick up, and I'm just going to read. Uh, these are the last five verses of the last chapter of 2 Samuel. So it's 2 Samuel 24, and it says this. Why have you come, my lord and king? Eriwana asked. David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. 
Take it, my lord and king, and use it as you wish, Ariana said to David. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to, uh, to build the fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty. And may the Lord, your God, accept your sacrifice. But the king replied to Ariana, No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the, Lord, for the land and the plague of Israel was stopped. See, what you have right here is a man after God's own heart who realizes his sin and realizes he's got to go make a sacrifice. And Eruana shows great dedication to the king and to God too, saying, hey, this plague is bad and I will sacrifice this stuff so we can stop it if you think this is going to do it. And David says, but I can't let it be your sacrifice. If it's going to be a sacrifice, it has to cost me something. And so he buys the land. And as I read this in our small group, the thought occurred to me, how often am I like the leftover guy on the video where I offer stuff to God that doesn't cost me anything? And the thought occurred to me, and how about you guys? Do you ever find yourself in that same predicament where you're offering God the leftovers and not the best that you've got? That's the question we're going to answer today is do I really serve God leftovers? And if I do, what does that mean? I want to explore God's word because it has a ton to say about this and I want to look into what it means. But before I do, I just want to ask you guys, would you join me in prayer as we get going this morning? Heavenly Father, you love us greatly. And you, uh, we're just thankful and grateful for the love you have for us. And I just pray in this moment that the Holy Spirit would guide our hearts and our minds and convict and uh, bring truth to our lives and change us into the people you desire us to be. May this message not be my words, but may they be from you. Help us really understand the insights and believe that you des what you desire for our lives. Use this time together this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. So as I was studying this weekend about this topic of serving leftovers to the creator of the universe... I think God revealed three things to me, and I want to share them with you. So if you're a note taker, and I kind of encourage you guys, take notes. I think, I think there's great stuff that you can go home and review, and hopefully God will speak to that. But if you're going to take notes, here's what I want you to do. Write this, serving leftovers. Serving God our leftovers. Number one, reveals the truth about our hearts. If you look in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says this, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. In a nutshell, what that's saying is this. If you want to know what you value, look what you're using your treasure to accomplish. Right? If you, it's funny. I was talking to my wife last night. And just kinda, I always talk over the message with her before I give it. And, and I said, uh, you know, so, so for instance, if you came over to my house, you would realize I really care about music. You, you'd see I love guitars because I've invested time in that. I've invested a lot of finance. And uh, Susie says, well, what do I invest? Well, what, what do I care about? And I go, well, definitely kids. You invest so much time. She goes, well, what, what money? What do I spend my money on? And she goes, oh, groceries. I care about food. <laughs> and I, I think that's maybe a little bit of an exception. But anyway, 
If you want to know what people care, if I spend this amount of time on something and this amount of time on something, it's pretty clear which one I care about more. If I spend this amount of money on something and this amount of money on something, it's pretty clear which one I care about. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do that demonstrates what you care about. And serving God our leftovers reveals the truth about our heart. And what I want to do is I'm going to read this whole passage. In Matthew, there's a, you, you've probably heard this story. If you grew up in church, I'm pretty sure you've probably heard this story many times. And it's called the parable of the talents. And uh, a parable, basically, is a story that Jesus told that illustrated one person was, you know, set up to illustrate God. And people in the, in the parable are illustrations of humans and how they respond in the scenario. And uh, I want to read this whole parable. It's kind of long, and you may have heard it before, but I just feel like as I, as I read through this, I just think there's some really amazing truth that I don't want us to miss. So you can follow along on you, uh, version or on the screens, or uh, you can just listen to. Matthew chapter 25, verses, starting with verse 14, it says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, Two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came f forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, investing crops, uh, harvesting crops you didn't plant, and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why did you deposit my money in the why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And he ordered, "Take the money from the ser from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, throw this useless servant into outer darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth." So you have in this story, this, sir, this master who's going away, he entrusts his money to these three people based on their abilities to give a return on the amount that he gives them. The first guy gets five bags, he earns five bags. Second guy gets two bags, he earns two bags. And the third guy gets one bag and buries it. And I want to look at the third guy for just a second because I think he really, really demonstrates this principle that we're, when we serve God our leftovers, the stuff that doesn't matter to us, it reveals the truth about our hearts. First thing that happens is 
when the master asks him to account for his money, what does he say? The very first thing is this. He says, I knew, and I think there are five things he did demonstrate this. The first thing he says is this, I knew you were a harsh man. I knew you were a harsh man. Now, if you look at what he just said to the other servants, well done, good, faithful servant, you've done a great job, and because you've done a good job, I'm going to give you more. Let's go celebrate. Does that sound like a harsh servant or a harsh master to you? It doesn't to me. See, but what he demonstrated about his heart is that he didn't believe the master was good. He didn't believe it, and therefore he didn't invest it. The second thing that we find out about him is that he said, well, I was afraid to lose it. So he's living in fear of the master. Well, the question is, why is he living in fear? The reason he's living in fear is because he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. That's the second truth. When we don't believe something about someone, we don't believe God is good, we don't do anything about it. But also, we live in fear of God because we don't do what he asks. And if he comes back and we have to account for it, it creates a scenario of fear. The first two guys weren't afraid. The third thing that I find interesting is, well, what did he do with the money? He took the money and he buried it. Why did he hid it? Why did he hide the money? So I, I, my, uh, when we go shopping, my favorite store-bought cookies are those um, Chips Ahoy with the three uh, M&Ms on the top. You know those ones? And so I buy them. I brought them home one time. And I put them in the cupboard, and, you know, a few days later, I, I'm looking through the cupboard. And I'm like, Susie, where, where, where are the Chips Ahoy? And she's like, oh, the kids ate those days ago. Oh, and so I go back to the store. A few days later, I buy it. What do I do with them? Hide them. <laughs> Guess who had cookies? Me. Why do we hide stuff? Because we don't want others to know about them. Here's the thing. Why do you think he hid the money? I think part of the reason he hid the money is because if the master doesn't come back, there's no account of it. See, these other guys invested it, and there's a paper trail of where the money came from, where the money went, and who owned it. When you bury the money, no one knows. And when I come back, my chips ahoy are waiting for me because no one knows. And I think that that's what was in his mind. Maybe he won't come back. But what does the master say? You're wicked, revealing his intentions, so probably that's probably accurate. But the second thing, he, the, the fourth thing we learn about him, and the second thing the master says is, and you're lazy. I gave you something to do something, and what's revealed about your heart is that you're lazy because you didn't do anything with it. You just kept it for yourself. The final thing we learn about this third guy is this, that he expressed a core belief that doing nothing with what God had given him would be just fine. He believed that doing nothing with what God had given him would be just fine. See, what we do with what we have been given expresses what we believe about the God who gave it to us. And what we do with what we've been given expresses what we think God expects from us. That's the first thing. When we serve God our leftovers, it reveals a truth about our hearts. The second thing that we find out is that serving God our leftovers does not please God. And we see that in the parable already. What? He comes back and he says, what? You are a wicked, lazy servant. And because you did nothing with this money, what does he do? He takes it from the guy and gives it to who? The guy with 10. So we can clearly see that there's an expectation. And we read in there, he says, he gave them stuff to invest based on their abilities. So he had an expectation. 
And when we don't live up to that expectation, it doesn't please God. But here's something that, this is something that hit me that I'd never noticed before in this parable. That what we do with what God has given us has nothing to do with how we rate in comparison to others, only on our personal faithfulness to God. You see, what does he say to those two servants? The first servant comes back and he said, I, you gave me five, I, I produced five more. Good job. Well done. Good, faithful servant. Here's more. Let's party. Doesn't talk about the other servants, just talks about him. Guy with two comes back. What does he say? Well done. Good, faithful servant. Here's more stuff. Let's party. What does he say about number three? Wicked, lazy servant. See, he never once goes, see, you should have been more like number one. You should have been like five bad guy or two bad guy. He doesn't say that. He says, I gave you one because I knew with this one you had the ability to make two. And you didn't. It's all based on his own God-given, God-ordained potential, and he buried it in the dirt. Let me ask you something. Do you guys ever, if you're honest, do you ever look around the room and you kind of wonder, how come, how come God made that guy taller than me? <laughs> or how come God made that girl prettier than me? Or how come he's smart? How come God made them smarter than me? How come they're more athletic? How, how, how about this? How come God gave them that position? I want that position, but God gave it to them. How come God gave them that title? I want that title. How come God gave those, him those finances or that, those resources? See, a key to understanding this parable is this, that God does not compare us with our return based on what others do. He compares us with our return based on what he expects of us and never compares the two, but we compare each other and we spend time looking at what God didn't give us as though we deserve something from God. Why did he give the one to the guy who already had 10? Why not give it to the guy with the four? Then you have 10 and five. That's closer than 11 and you know, four, right? I don't know why God does stuff like that. But what I do know is that he gave based on their talents and he had an expectation based on what they could do, what they, he believed they could produce, that they would produce it. And that was solely how their judgment was placed. Did they live up to their potential? See, the word he uses is well done, good, and what? Faithful. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is taking what you've got and honorably making the best you can out of it. It's doing something excellently. Booker T. Booker T. Washington says this, excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. Again, I reveal myself here, Joyce Meyer, making good habits. She says this, it's very easy to be a mediocre person. All you have to do is make no extra effort of any kind and drift through life, making no difference in the world, which will guarantee that you leave no legacy behind you when you're gone. You probably won't even be noticed or stand out because there are millions of other people who are also mediocre. God has an excellent plan in mind for our lives, but a mediocre, lazy, compromising person will not live in the fulfillment of an excellent destiny. We are 
judged according to God based on what he believes our potential is and nothing else. You know, I just said a few minutes ago that God doesn't actually compare us. Well, he doesn't compare us with each other, but he, he does compare us in a different way. Look at, look at Luke 14, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. And it says this. Now, Jesus at this time, he was kind of a three, walking three-ring circus, right? And people flocked to him because they heard good stories. And, hey, maybe he'll heal me. And they, they wanted to get something from Jesus. All these people are following him. And he says this, Luke 14. A large crowd was following Jesus. And he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. I had a youth pastor when I was uh, in high school and he just had a baby boy and I was talking to him about this very passage and he, he said to me, Mike, you know, it's the craziest thing. He, I, I was struggling with, I got to hate these people? He said, no, you don't have to hate them. You hate by comparison. What does that mean? He said, I'm looking at this beautiful little boy that he had just, just had a little baby. He says, I look at this baby and I think to myself, oh my goodness, I love him so much. But God wants me to love him more. So I have to start loving him less, right? I got to love this boy. No, 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 no. See, what happens is when we love God more than others, well, let's start with this. When we love others more than God, what happens is God gets our leftovers. But when we love God more than others, nobody gets leftovers. And it doesn't mean to love others less. I don't have to love a person or a baby left. I need the love that I have for God in comparison should look like hate. But when I love God properly, the love I have for others is amazing because that w that's what he calls us to. Again, God is not pleased with our leftovers, and we see that, Luke 12, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been trusted with much, even more will be required. A great example of this is in Revelation 3, the church in Laodicea. Laodicea was this church, it's a, it was in Turkey, and, and um, they were known for this uh, special eye salve that they made. They were very affluent, and they uh, made this shiny black wool cloth that sold. It's very expensive. And uh, very, very, you know, well-to-do congregation. And here's what it says in Revelation 3.16. I, I know the things you do. I know about your eye salve. I know about your black cloth. I know about your money. I got it. But what I also know is that you're neither hot or cold, and I wish that you'd be one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, you're like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, will spit you out of my mouth. That's what, God, that's what he says. I don't care about the stuff you have. I care about you being on fire for me. I want to look at the third thing is that, that, that I feel God revealed to me this week, and it's this. Not only does serving God our leftovers reveal the truth about our hearts, and it does not please God, but it also doesn't satisfy us. Malachi, now Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and it's a really interesting book. Malachi was one of the prophets, and he prophesied during the time of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was the uh, guy who led them back out of exile, Babylonian exile. And uh, what had happened to the Israelites at this 
point is they were a, becoming a scandalous people. They were sacrificing lame animals and bad food and stuff like this. The priests were corrupt, and uh, it, it was just kind of a train wreck. They're making a mockery of the whole sacrificial process. All right, now I want to pick up in Malachi chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, and it says this. This is God, through the prophet, speaking to the people of Israel. He says this, But you dishonor my name by your actions, bringing contemptible food, leftovers. You are saying, it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say, it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these asked lords. He goes on to say, you wouldn't even offer these to your governors and your princes and kings, yet you'll offer them to God. You'll serve leftovers to the creator of the universe. You wouldn't even do that to people coming over to your house. But what's interesting is in the middle of these two verses, you come across this thing. Verse 13 says, you say it's too hard to serve the Lord. What? Well, they are serving the Lord. Well, here's what's interesting about this. You see, you find the people trying to make themselves happy by doing what? Living a bipolar lifestyle. I'm going to go through the ritual of sacrificial giving, but I'm going to get rid of my junk. I'm going to give my leftover food, my crippled and stolen lambs, and guess what? The people were miserable because when we don't commit to fully serving God, it not only doesn't make God happy, it doesn't even make us happy. Be hot or cold. Step out and go live your life like crazy or step in and live your life serving God. One of those is going to make you happy, but not both. And that's what he's saying to the Israelites. Hot or cold. And I'm going to, the band, you guys can come forward. We're going to transition to time of musical worship as we continue this morning. But I'm going to read something to you. It's by Francis Chan. He says an amazing thing to me. He says this. See, we're willing to make changes in our lives only if we... Francis Chan is a nationally renowned speaker and a pastor of a church. And Anyway, he says this. We're willing to make changes in our lives only if we think it affects our salvation. This is why I have so many people ask me questions like, can I divorce my wife and still go to heaven? Do I have to be baptized to be saved? Am I a Christian even though I'm having sex with my girlfriend? If I commit suicide, can I still go to heaven? If I'm ashamed to talk, talk about Christ, is he really going to deny knowing me? See, these are tragic questions because they reveal the state of our heart. What we're saying to God is, I want what you have to offer me, but I'm not really willing to sacrifice the way I'm living. I want to give you my leftovers. Don't ask anything of me. Just give me good stuff. And in the end, we displease God, we reveal what's true about our hearts, and we displease ourselves. The real question we should be asking is, can I go to heaven without truly being a good and faithful servant with what God has given me? I'll just share one more story as I close out this morning. Henry Kissinger tells this story. It's about a Harvard professor who uh, he gave an assignment to his students to write, write a paper. And so the uh, students wrote the paper and they turned their papers in and this one, after turning it in, this one uh, student gets the paper back and at the bottom of the paper it said, says, um, is this the best you can do? 
That's all it's written on the paper. And the student thought about it, and he said, nah, it's not the best. So he went home, and he rewrote the paper, and he turned it in. The professor handed it back next day. He looks at the bottom of the paper, and it says, is this the best you can do? Nah, it's not. He goes home, and he rewrites the paper. This happens 10 times, 10 times. And on the 10th time, the student looks at his paper. He reads, is this the best you can do? And he goes, it is. So he goes to the professor and he says, yes, professor, this is the best I can do. The professor responds and says, fine, then I'll read it. <laughs> See, it's a great story, but what does that tell us? See, so often what we do is we offer God the leftovers, hoping he's going to read the paper and think, this is great stuff, as though we can fool God. And all he's asking for us to do is turn in our very best work because excellence glorifies him. Again, we're going to transition into time of musical worship. And I just ask, will you guys... I want each and every one of you this morning to ask yourself this question. Am I serving God leftovers or am I giving him the best I can do in every area of my life, finance, time, talent, all my resources? Is it the very best that I can give him? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, again, we humbly come before you and ask for your grace where we fail and for your conviction where we need it, for your truth in the areas that are hidden. Help us to serve and love you consistently. Help us give you our best. May you lead us to your truth. Thank you for your love. We ask this in your name. Amen.